Thank you, Brian and team. That was awesome. And welcome this morning. Glad you're here. You know, there's a, a lot to be said about that song, and uh, I, one of the privileges of my calling is that I get to be with people at some of the more tender moments of life and uh, intimate, most difficult moments of life. And when we're talking there about, you know, the end is coming and um, when we're drawing nigh to that place where we're going to die or a loved one's going to die, uh, it's just amazing when you get that privilege to be with people who have placed their faith in Christ and uh, they're looking at the end uh, with faith and with hope that uh, the end of life is just the beginning of life. And uh, so I so want to encourage you today that if you've never had that experience with Jesus Christ, that, so that maybe you wouldn't have that same kind of confidence if you went through a trial or a difficulty or even uh, faced death or a diagnosis of that, um, that today you would embrace Christ, that you would see him uh, possibly for the first time and say yes to him. We'd love to have you invite him into your life as well. Go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program, if you would, and in your Bible, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, uh, it's the fourth gospel. You can turn there, and we're going to look today in our series on Like Jesus, we're going to look at the, a prayer that Jesus prayed. So the whole idea of the series, the, the premise is, the goal is, is that we are looking at the life of Jesus so that we can look at the things he did, and then we can do the things he did so that ultimately we will be like Jesus. Now, you know, this series is not about rules. It's not about regulations. It's not about religion. It's not about restriction. It's not about, you know, the big brother looking over you. This is basically saying Jesus lived life a certain way. And we know from the recordings in the Gospels how he lived life. So we're going to look at the way he lived life, and we're going to learn from him. And then as we live the life that Jesus lived, then God, we believe, will come into us and honor that, and we will move toward being like him. Last week, we looked at his habits. And if you weren't here last week, you really need to go out and uh, get a copy of that or watch it online. And then the week before was his attitudes and how the attitudes he carried into life and today we're going to look at a prayer he prayed and how we can pray that prayer as well. On the top of your notes, John, 1 John chapter 2, this is the theme verse for the series, and it says this, Though who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So just you know, be aware that in this series, especially, that we're talking to those who are followers of Christ. You know, And that, uh, once again, you may not have yet crossed that line of faith with him. It'd be our desire that you would do that. And you get to see today the life he's called us to live as we look at a prayer that he prayed. And we want to live that way. And then Jesus said these words in John chapter 13. He says, I have given you an example to follow. And so we want to follow that example. Now, I was thinking about prayer. And I was thinking about my prayers. You know, think about your prayers right now for just a minute. Most of the prayers I pray are something that I'm wanting for me, right? For me. And so it's, you know, make me more happy. You know, give me this thing. Uh, I want this to go better in some way. I need this for that. And so thinking about my prayers, and I might pray those, and I might have a certain intensity level. And then I was thinking about the prayers I pray for my children. And they're totally different prayers for my children. Oh, God, protect them, give them wisdom, help them to know the right thing to do. And there's a lot more intensity, right? There's a lot more intensity in that prayer. Well, what we're looking at today is a prayer that Jesus prayed for his children. He's praying for those who knew him. And so he's got some intensity and some intimacy with this prayer. So I was thinking also about this. I said, what would it look like if we could invite Jesus Christ on the stage today with us and say, 
and hear him say, I want to pray over you today. Wouldn't that just be awesome? That if he walked out here and said, I want to pray over you today. Well, we can have that experience because he prayed a prayer that's recorded in John chapter 17 that he prayed for his followers, for his disciples, for you and me. And we can know what he would pray if he walked out here today to pray for us. And we want to look at it. Look at John chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. It says this, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you. You have given them to me so that they bring me glory. And then he says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, so he's praying for those who are right there with him. So those guys are really listening intently, knowing that he's praying for them at this moment. But he says this, he takes it a little further. He says, I'm praying also for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. And that would be us, right? That would be everybody who's here today and into history, I mean, into the future, everybody that would give their lives to him as well. So context, let's take about context a little bit. In John chapter 13 through um, 17 is uh, you call it the, end, the great discourse, the ending uh, discourse of Jesus' life. It begins with Passover in John chapter 13. We're actually going to be looking at that next week. John chapter 13 begins there uh, in the upper room. And then, you know, they have the last uh, the, uh, Passover meal together. And then they leave and they go out and they're walking down the Kidron Valley uh, to the place where Jesus is going. And as they're walking along, then he talks to them about life. He talks to them in John chapter 14. He just says, hey, guess what? I'm going to be leaving but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you so you never have to walk on your own. You don't have to be afraid of that. And he says, also, guess what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he gives them the promise and the hope of heaven. And then John chapter 15, he's walking by some vines, some grapevines. And he says this, he says, you, I am the, the, the vine and you are the branches. And he just makes this picture analogy. And then John chapter 16, he goes on and comes back again and talks about the hope of the Holy Spirit that we have in our lives. And then John chapter 17, you know, he's getting to the end of his destination here. As he's moving forward now, this is the last, some of the last words he will ever say. He's leaving them. Some of the last words he will ever say to them. And it's a prayer he prays for them to his Father that he prays for us as well, and we can learn from that, and we can embrace it even, and learn how to pray for ourselves as we look at this prayer. This prayer shows the heart of Jesus. It shows his passion. It shows his priority. Uh, as we look at this prayer today, we're going to see what's most important to him, but this prayer also shows our hope. As we, we're going to look at this, it shows the hope that we have. This prayer, we're going to see things that we can know that Jesus has prayed, that, and we know that God honored the prayer of Jesus, and we also see that some of the things we're going to see is that some of the things that God wants us to do, and so I just think, you know, sometimes we wonder, what should I pray for? Well, I just say, if you're ever wondering what to pray for, just look at this prayer. Just look at this prayer. If you want to know what God's will is for his people, just look at this prayer. If you want to know what Jesus prayed, just pray this prayer. You can pray this prayer yourself, and you can have confidence today knowing that God is willing and able to do this because it was the prayer of his son. His son prayed this prayer, and we can embrace that in our lives as well. Now, it was given for the disciples, but it was also given for everyone who would be a disciple after him, and as I said, that would be the church, that would be us that know Christ. And so this is why we chose to make this 
our church prayer for the year. Last year, we had the Lord's Prayer, and we had five Ps that we prayed every day of 2012. And I just want to encourage you, if you've not yet responded to me with an email or somewhere given me a note or written me, uh, I'd love to hear how this prayer impacted you as we prayed this prayer, hopefully every day uh, of 2012. And now we're going to have a new prayer that we're going to ask you to engage in as a church family for 2013 based upon this prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, I just want to pause a moment and just be honest with you. Just confession time, just for a moment. Um, And here's my confession. As I was thinking about this, and God's been working in my heart since somewhere last end of spring, early summer. He started working in my heart about this. And this is what God showed me. God said to me, Ron, you don't pray enough. I'm a pastor. You know, you think I'd pray all the time, right? That's my job, right? And he said, no, you don't pray enough. And then he said this, you don't pray intensely enough. And then the bottom line was, he said, you don't pray with enough desperation. Because somehow in your mind, you must believe that you can do more than you can. And so I began wrestling with this whole idea about my prayer life. And so I decided that I wanted to change that. And so I, you know, in August then, our pastors usually get away for a retreat. And we talk about how God, what God's doing in us, in our church, and uh, what he might want to do in the coming year. And so we were together. And so I talked to them about this whole idea of prayer uh, and uh, what it is that God wants his church to do in the issue of prayer. And basically, here's what we kind of decided. It was, we were talking together as pastors, okay? We're saying this. Okay, here, here we go. This is just the raw and the real, okay? Here we go. We decided that we can work our pastoral butts off We can envision, strategize, create services, serve our community, mobilize people. But if we are not doing it in the power and direction of God's Holy Spirit, then we're not leveraging our lives as God wants us to for the kingdom gospel in a way that unleashes his Holy Spirit in our lives, in our community, in our world. And we want to change that. We want that to change. And so that's where we're at. And that's what I think that God's calling us to be and do in this coming year as a church is that we have to pray. And we have to pray more with more intentionality. So I'm just going to ask you to join me. We're going to listen to Jesus' prayer. And I'm going to ask you if you would be impassioned with me uh, and inspired to pray this prayer in your life as well as we look at these five things. First is this. We're going to look at five things that we, I just kind of pulled out, packaged together, that we can look at that Jesus prayed for us in this. These are my words. These are my thinking. These are not really the words that Jesus gave all the way through. First is this is that if we're going to pray, we need to pray this, give us security. So this is us, so it's church, okay? So I didn't say me uh, or them. I said give us, because this is the prayer. We're going to be praying together as a church. Give us security. Now I'm going to ask a question. Do you ever feel insecure? Yeah. First service, they're like, uh, what's that mean? Now you guys got it. You understand. Do you ever feel all alone? Do you ever feel fear, anxiety, worry? Well, what Jesus says is that he prays now. He prays for your security. He lets you know that he's going to hold you and that God is always protecting you. That's what he says in John 17, 11b and 15. Protect them by the power of your name. Would you circle that power of your name? So that they will be united. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So I want you to notice two things here. The first thing is this, is that Jesus says, God, I'm going to ask you, and this is what we're asking God, God, I want to ask you to give us security, protect us. 
with, by the what? power of your what? Your name. And we're going to call on the awesome name of the Lord God. And we're going to say, God, by your name, almighty name of God, Yahweh, we're going to come to you and we're going to say, God, your name's on the line when I pray this. Your name's on the line when I pray this. Because you have said that you've called me to pray this prayer. And you've said, these are your characteristics. And I'm going to come to you in your name. And I'm going to pray intently about the issues that I'm feeling in my life. And God has promised to answer that prayer. His name is on the line. And we come to him in his name. You guys seen the, the Lincoln movie? You guys seen that? If you haven't seen it, you really just kind of like you got to like one of those got to movies, okay? Uh, there's a scene in the Lincoln movie, and I don't recall the whole scene exactly, but Lincoln and one of his advisors, uh, and possibly the Secretary of State, uh, that they're having a meeting and they're debating intently uh, the 13th Amendment, the, you know, the getting the passage of the 13th Amendment, intense meeting. And all of a sudden, you hear a knock on the door. And Lincoln stops, and this is what he says. He says, I am bound by oath to answer this. And he goes to the door, and he opens the door, and there's his five- to six-year-old son, Tad, there with his arms up, Tad, you know, kind of like that, that moment. I'm bound by oath. And somehow they had a secret knock. Somehow they knew that he always had access because President Lincoln was his father, right? So he'd come to him in the name of his father. And what I want to say to you today is when you come to God in his name and you knock, he's bound by his oath to answer. Bound by his oath to answer. And you can count on it. And no matter how it's looking, he's going to be there for you. So that's the first thing we know from looking at this prayer. But we also we know and notice, and this is going to be the bad news, okay? This is the bad heart. This is the part we don't want. He's not going to take us out of the world. He's not going to put us in a bubble so that things are, you know, they're difficult, don't come our way. And so he's still going to allow us to live in the world, and the world is full of trouble, trials, tribulations. Jesus says in this world you will have troubles, and that's his, you know, forecast. And that's what it happens. But here's what he says. He's asking for, and this is what you can ask for as well, protect me from the world in which I live. Not separate me from the world in which I live, but protect me from the influence of the world in which I live. And he just wants us to know, as we pray that, that there is absolutely nothing, and you need to hear this today, some of you are really underneath this kind of um, circumstantial issue, and you're just wondering where God's at, and you're wondering if you're going to be able to stand through the struggle you're in. You need to hear that nothing that Satan throws at us can defeat us. Absolutely nothing. Now, just know, he was praying this prayer to his disciples, to his apostles, and as he's praying this prayer to them, um, they heard it, and they're probably thinking, wow, God's going to protect us. But you know the history of the disciples, that almost every one of them was martyred? So Jesus wasn't praying that, you know, his prayer was not that they'll be separated from suffering, his prayer is, is that they will, you got to hear this, is that they will be protected in suffering so that they will stand strong through it. So that they will stand strong through it. And that's what God's praying for you. So wherever you are in the struggle you're in right now, you just need to know that Jesus Christ is praying for you that you will stand strong 
through the issue that's coming against you and that you can claim that and that you can get through it, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that God says all things come your way, I have planned for your good. And you can trust that because of Jesus' prayer. And we can pray that ourselves. God, give us security. Second, he prays, give us, secure, give us purity. Give us purity. I don't know if you know this, but your purity is so important to Jesus that he died for it, that he died that you could be made clean. And it's so important that he prayed for it, that you would be pure. Now, it's so, this is so important to us because we live in a world with impurity and temptation, and uh, that's just the world we get to live in. It's full of purity, impurity, and temptation. This is what he prays in verses 17 and 19, combining them together. He says this, Make them holy by your truth. Would you circle that by your truth? Teach them your word. Circle that. Teach them your word, which is truth. So how are we made holy? By his word. Okay, clear. Say it again. I don't think you got it. By his Got it. We're made pure by his word, and so we have to have time in his word. And he says this, I give myself as a holy sacrifice. So here's how he takes care of that impurity. Give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth, made true by your truth. So the source of purity is God's word. I read a quote this week, and I thought, wow, this is really fascinating that someone would actually write this down and uh, for us to chew on. And some of us go, well, I don't know about that. And some of us go, I really can relate to that. But here's the quote. I don't believe it's possible to live a day of complete purity unless I read God's word every day. I don't believe it's possible to live a day of complete purity unless I read God's word every day. I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. And that's why we encourage you to read the Bible daily. Not read the whole Bible daily, but read a portion of the Bible daily. Remember, read till God bumps you and then stop and journal about what he said. So we encourage you to do that every day. His word shows us the, the truth. Now, see, so what that means is, is that if this is the truth and I'm going to be pure, then I need to live my life by according to what this book says. Now, a couple weeks ago, months ago, back in our last series um, before Christmas, we talked about the, the difference between biblical, biblical morality and cultural morality. And uh, that biblical morality is living according to what God says, and cultural morality is living by what the world says. You know, that, and kind of made the distinction here that cultural morality is based upon what the individual wants or the individual says is right and what you feel. So it's based on what you feel. And so all truth is based on feeling. Uh, and then biblical morality is based upon the truth, based on the word. So it's based on a, a, a source. And it's what's best for the community, what's best for the whole. Culture morality is all about what's best for me. And we see this all over the news, what's best for me. And anybody who says what's if you say from biblical morality that what's best for me is not best for me, then you are judgmental, that you are, you know, a Bible thumper, that you are out of touch with reality, because reality is this. Well, that is a reality, but it's not the reality you have to live in. You get to choose which reality you live in. And my encouragement and the Bible's encouragement is you live by biblical morality. Now, uh, and what happens is, as we do that, then we're transformed made pure, sanctification, we're made pure over time as we walk with him. Okay, second thing. Third thing is this, give us priority. Give us priority. 
So here we go. We're going to talk about our priorities in life, okay? You know, we end up at first of the year, and I don't know, we do these kind of resolutions, and we make lists, and we stop and think, okay, what am I supposed to do, and what do I want to accomplish this year? What is my, you know, maybe some of you stopped and rewrote the life mission statement, or you updated your mission statement in some way for your life. What are your priorities? Well, God doesn't leave it up to question, okay? You got to know. He doesn't leave it up to question. In fact, Jesus prays that you will know it, and this is what he prays in verse 18. He says to God, just as you sent me into the world, what did he say? I am sending them into the world. So my purpose, my mission is to go to church. I know last week we talked about the importance of church. It's really important. Is my purpose to make a million dollars? Is my purpose to have kids that make all A's and get into the best school? Is my purpose to have kids who excel in sports? All four of my kids, five of my kids, three of my kids, two of my kids, they all excel in some way so that I can be proud of them? Is that my purpose? Is it my purpose to uh, be religious? And so that everybody looks up at me that I'm more religious than ever. I'm spiritual. Yeah, so get away. You can't bother me because I'm spiritual. You know, that kind of thing. Is that my purpose? No. Our purpose is to go into the world. Go into the world. That's our purpose. And what he wants us to do is he wants to surrender our ordinary, everyday plans to his extraordinary plan to be and live for him in our world. So he says, guys, gals, that's us. Your mission is to go out into the world and let the world know who sent me and why I was sent. That's your mission in life. Your mission in life is to go out and let the world know who sent Jesus and why Jesus was sent. God sent Jesus because God loves us. And that's our mission. And that's our message that we go out. And however we do that, however we say that, our calling in life. Jesus says it right here is to go out to share about the hope that we can have in Christ, the hope of heaven, the hope of the life he wants us to live here, and he wants us to know so that other people can know the Father, so the Father, so that they can realize that they can live with the Father forever in heaven. And he wants us to realize that as a church. He wants us to express that. So you got to know, as Jesus is walking along that night, and he's praying this prayer in John chapter 17, he's walking toward what? cross. He's walking toward the fulfillment of his life mission. And what he's saying there is he's saying, I'm walking toward my cross, and that cross is going to show the world how much that God loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. And he's walking toward that, and that's his mission. And he's saying to us, he's saying, I want you to walk toward the mission that the world knows God's love that the world knows that God loves them. So I just want to ask this question. We think about this because it can be so tempting, you guys, for us to think that my mission is to come to church and be spiritual and to have a community group. And my mission is, oh, if I'm ever going to go into the world, I'm just going to, you know, the best way to do to go into the world isn't it to put a fish in the back of my car? Not the way some of you drive. 
got you to know. Some of you better take that fish off is what I want to say. That's not what he calls. He calls us, and I just want to ask you this question. Who in your life, this is going to be where the rubber hits the road today. Who in your life are you intentionally investing in who does not yet know Jesus Christ? Who is it? If no name comes to your mind, you're not living Jesus' mission. I'll just say it that clearly. And I love the people, and they got, you know, some people get carried away with this, and they actually use this as a badge, so I'm not doing this. I'm not talking about overkill here. I'm talking about that you would have one name, two names, not 50 names. Okay, so we're just talking about who are you intentionally investing in so that you can help them to know the love of Christ. That's our priority. Fourth, give us unity. Give us unity. Jesus prayed for us to have relationships that are marked by unity. And um, this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work because, you know, you look around this room today and you kind of think in a little bit like everybody looks like me until you put them together. (laughs) And then everybody doesn't look like you. Everybody doesn't respond like you. Everybody's a little bit different. And then what happens is, is that we rub each other the wrong way and then conflict is created. And then when conflict is created, if we don't resolve it, it leads to disunity. And uh, by the way, disunity in God's church is sin. And so he wants us to be unified. Look what he says in verses 22 through 23. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one just as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So here's what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's setting the bar as high as it can be set right here. He says, God, the kind of relationship that you and I have, that's the kind of relationship I want my church to have with each other. That those in my church have a trinity relationship. And you're going, really? That God would expect us to relate like Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit relate to each other in perfect unity in heaven? Really? That that's what God what Jesus prayed just now. And I think that if Jesus prays it, it's possible. So if your first response is, I can't do that, then I just want to say, you're right. That's why we pray about it. And we offer to prayer that he can help me to do what I cannot do naturally on my own. And I just want to say this, you know, just kind of, you know, time out a little bit, just a, you know, kind of pastoral word here, is that too many of God's people waste their potential because they get bent out of shape because something happened around them and they take their toys home to their own toy box and they don't play anymore. It happens too many times in God's church and God's church is hurt because God's people are unwilling to get into con- you get into get together and to talk about and to resolve and move toward reconciliation. Uh, If you'll notice in your uh, program, we talk about the life skills classes. One of the life skills classes that we have um, is conflict resolution this spring. We're doing a conflict resolution class for eight weeks. The last time we did this, it was standing room only. Uh, Obviously, people have a lot of conflict, we found out, and and they want to know how to solve it. So for eight weeks, we're going to gather together, and we're going to learn how to solve conflict in marriage, at home, in work, 
uh, in relationships, at church. We're going to learn how to solve conflict together because God wants his church to be in unity. He wants his church to be unified and to lean into one another because we need each other. And you never know when you're going to need somebody else in our church to be beside you. And so we want to be unified as we do that. And what's really cool about this? This is what's really cool about it. Jesus said that when you love each other, that's how the world will know my love. You mean that's also part of our mission? Yeah. Because when we love each other, then the world will know his love and that they will be able to experience that themselves. Okay, we have unity. And then fifth, give us clarity. Give us clarity. And what I'm talking about here is, as simply as I can say it, help us understand how our choices will either give God glory or take away from God's glory. Help us to understand how our choices in life will either bring God glory or they will not, or they will uh, take people's eyes off of God so that he won't get the glory. And what he's talking about here is help us to focus on the promise of heaven. Help us to focus on a future promise. This is what he says in verse 24. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Now, be, to be with me where I am. He's talking about here, he's not saying, they're, I mean, they're already beside him, so he's not praying that they'll be beside him there, right? So he's praying that be with me where I am. Where's Jesus getting ready to go? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's not inviting them to the cross. He's inviting them to be where he will go eventually, and that is in heaven. So he's saying, I'm praying that they will stay strong. Goes back to the protection part, the security part, that they will stay strong, that nothing will cause them to crater and move away from me so that there will be a day that we're in heaven together. He says, then they can see all the glory you gave me. Where are we going to see that? In where? Heaven. We're not going to see that now. We'll see that in heaven because you loved me even before the world began. So he's talking about the promise of heaven and he wants his followers to be clear on one thing. And this is why it takes clarity. Here's what I want you to be clear about. Here's what Jesus wants us to be clear about, to have clarity about. He wants us to understand is that this world is not my home. So therefore, I don't live as if this world is my home. I'm not trying to build, not trying to accomplish. I'm not trying to move ahead. I'm not trying to stash. I'm not trying to prepare for some future for my, you know, hand me down to generations. I'm realizing that this world is not my home. So I'm going to live for another home. Therefore, I'm going to live for the priorities that God's called me to live for. And I'm going to trust him with a lot of the other things that I worry about so much in life because this world is not my home. Jesus says this. Then now down in verse 25 and 26, I just want to, this is Jesus' amen, okay? So give us clarity. Now he's going to move to his amen. Here's his amen. And you know what amen means? Yeah, let it be. So be it, let it be. And so he says right here, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. And that's his amen. The world will know that you sent me. My love will be in them. I will be in them. And they will know that you sent me. As we pray the prayer, the idea is, is that we would have Jesus in us. And as we learn to embrace Jesus in us, that we would understand that he came from God and that God is here with us. God is here for us and that God is protecting us, and that God is purifying us or sanctifying us, and, and that God is giving us a priority, 
and that God has, wants us to have clarity and that God will give us unity. That that's what Jesus is saying God wants to do here in our church together. Now, I want to give you the icing on the cake. This is the, I, I mean, everything else has been awesome, but this is like the icing, you know, and, and I'm an icing fiend, so I can't get enough of that stuff. Uh, here's the icing on the cake, verse 13. I pray these things while I'm still in the world so that these followers can have all of my joy in them. He's saying, I'm praying that you will know my joy, he says, my joy. Would you like to know the joy of Jesus Christ? He's saying, I'm praying that as these things are lived out in their lives, Father, that they will know my joy, that they won't give themselves to temporary happiness or temporary pleasures, but they will think, always be thinking long-term, deep joy that I can know as I experience Jesus Christ. And that's his promise for us. That's amazing what he wants to do in us. I want you to bow your heads, and I'm going to just pray the prayer together, kind of model for you how I'm going to ask you to do this uh, as we go throughout our year. Notice this card, though, before you, in, the, in your program. This is the bookmark we want to give you to help you uh, to pray the prayers. So you can have this with you because you won't be able to remember everything. You've got your message notes there. It's the same thing that's on your message notes this morning. Um, and it says this. And so if you would just bow your heads, and let's pray together this prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to pray like Jesus prayed. So God, right now, I just ask, give us security. Pray for my church right now, and myself included, but give us security. God, I pray that you will protect us as we live in a world with evil intent and purposes, that you would help us to keep our perspective on you. I pray that you would preserve us as we radiate your love and presence, I pray that you would guard us as we live for you. God, I ask that you would give us purity. I pray that you would help us as a church remain focused on your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to willingly obey every word in it, no matter what it costs us, Father. Father, we want to be set apart for you. Help us to know how to live in a world, live in this world without belonging to the world. God, I pray that you would give us priority. Help us to remember the mission that you've called us to carry out to be your salt and your light, to radiate the love of God into our world. Help us to remember that you will empower us to do that. We don't have to create the light on our own. We don't have to create the energy. We don't have to win the souls into the kingdom. We simply have to be faithful. And I pray that you would be, help us to be faithful with that one name we have in mind. So with intentionality, we will help share our story about Jesus Christ with that one name. Father, I pray that you would give us unity. Help us to focus on the need of others. Help us to place our needs, our preferences, our desires second and to serve others by dying to self. 
I pray that you would help our church be unified, that you would help us all to realize our responsibility in dealing with conflict and working toward restoration. And God, I pray for clarity. Help us not to lose focus oh, on the fact that this world will never be our home. Help us to live for more than we can see. And I just pray that you would help us remain focused on you and your purpose for us. And God, I just thank you for the promise that when we live life in you, that that is where we find true joy. Everything that all of us in this room and our entire world seeks is found in you. Joy overflowing. Joy everlasting. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I thank you for that promise, and I just embrace it today. And as I walk out, God, I'm going to ask you to help me to wear a face of joy. Absolutely confident that you're in charge and you're in control of my life. And Father, I pray for everyone in the room that's not said yes to Jesus. You're here and you've never said yes to him. You know that you, you know that. You just know that you keep rejecting the message and you want to today say yes to his, free, to his forgiveness, yes to his freedom, yes to following him with the rest of your life. And just that's all you do. Just say yes, Jesus. Yes to you. I thank you that you've forgiven me on the cross. I thank you that you've set me free from my sin. And I want to follow you with the rest of my days. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.